Francisco Lazaro, Duncan Kerr, Joseph Marotta, Bruno Manier are just a few names of long-distance runners who have collapsed and dropped dead during a marathon race. We always heard that exercise is good for you, but is there an actual limit to exercise? Internal Therapy is here to tell you what that limit is. Welcome to the Internal Therapy Podcast, where we combine physical therapy and internal medicine to help you prevent disease and injury. I am Samuel Soto, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and I am with my brother, Joseph Soto, a physician. Today, we have a special guest and a good friend of mine, Kolawala Bangbalu, a physical therapist with a special interest in cardiopulmonary physical therapy. KB, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. You know, I've always been a big fan of what you guys have been doing, just seeing the growth of this channel. Uh, appreciate you for having me on the show. Of course. Thank you so much. Right. So we're going to talk about exercise. Is is it is is there a limit to exercise? We're going to tell you what that limit is. We're going to tell you some of the harms and dangers, potential deadly dangers of excessive exercise and endurance training. So stay tuned. We're first going to talk about the benefits of exercise in general. So let's start with uh, Joe. What are some of the benefits of exercise that you found in, in your clinical practice and your personal life? So exercise has been shown to uh, decrease overall mortality. So consistently, uh, you know, through studies, through observations, it's pretty consistent that exercise decreases overall mortality. So um you know, exercise of all forms, whether that's strength training, marathon running, um, basically you name it, it does lower mortality. And, and there are some studies that show uh, even a five-fold reduction in mortality. So what that means is that if people, if you exercise, you actually have a five-fold reduction in overall mortality, which means you're five times less likely to die from any disease, whether that's cancer, heart disease, diabetes, you name it. So exercise is obviously incredibly important. Um, we see that people who exercise in, in terms of the, what we call the blue zones, they all exercise. But the question is, how much exercise is needed for longevity? And is there a specific type of exercise that should be performed for longevity? Now, I'm sure in this, in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about different types of exercise, uh, you know, who should be doing what. Um, and you know, also what your goal is, because, mm -hmm. uh, especially for me, I find that there are two main types of people. There are people who want to exercise for longevity, but there are people who want to exercise for performance. So there are two very different things. And I think answering that question is very important for the listener out there because it really determines what route you take in terms of what specific exercises you're doing, how long you're doing them for, what's the intensity, what's the recovery. And, and so it, it's just, it's, it's the bottom line is exercise is great for you, but when is enough enough? So that's what we're going to be talking right. a lot about here. Right. So KB, I know you played basketball, I believe in college for a little while. Um, you've played sports pretty much all your life. Uh, you're, we're working as a physical therapist now. So tell us about your experience uh, personally as an athlete and, and exercising and also just the benefits that you've seen with your patients, um, prescribing exercise as a physical therapist? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I think the main thing that, that I find exercise to be beneficial is just returning back to function. Uh, whether you're an NBA athlete, whether you're a weekend warrior, uh, whether you're, you're just a high school student, I think the main thing is getting back to doing things what you used to do. And 
I think that uh, the number one exercise that I like to use is specifically strengthening in conjunction with aerobic exercise with what we're going to talk a little bit about uh, today. I think there's a lot of different um, improvements that you, you do see and different things like decrease in mortality, just like what Joe mentioned. But there are other things that I've also found as well that I think would help such as sleeping you know you people it's been known that once you exercise more you get better quality of sleep there's been studies that show that increase in exercise you might improve your overall skin health um also mental health as well whether it be anxiety uh depression those are some things that you might not always kind of think about but you know you might see them in the long term once you're exercising whether it be you or exercising in the patient Right. So, in, yeah, in general, for the listener out there, exercise, and in, in, there's many forms of exercise, strength training, high-intensity interval training, aerobic training, walking, jogging. In general, it's very good, and it's good to diversify with the exercise that you do. And if you've been listening to our podcast, we've mentioned exercise pretty much in every episode. We've, we've talked about how it can help manage PCOS symptoms, how it can help with diabetes, how it can help with obesity. So exercise in general is going to help with cholesterol levels, going to help with endothelial function, insulin sensitivity, decreasing blood pressure, reducing obesity. It can even help with smoking cessation. Like KB mentioned, mental health, right? Decreasing psychological stress. Um, so just in general, it's, it's a whole body thing that it helps you with. So I think exercise is great, but how much is too much? So that question of how much exercise is too much is posed when we're talking about endurance training, right? Endurance athletes. So let's talk about endurance exercise. What do you guys think about, you know, endurance exercise and, and long distance um, exercise in general? Well, I would say, again, um, it's the, the, the question to ask initially is why are you exercising? So when, when my patients ask me, you know, hey, doc, what what exercise should I be doing? I, the first thing I ask them is, why are you want why do you want exercise? Is it because you want to live longer? You want to feel better? Do you want the wellness effects? Um, or is it because you want to perform? Is it are you trying to go on a race? Are you trying to do a marathon, uh, a bike ride? I think that's very important to, to actually ask that question because it, it determines everything. And. I think when it comes in terms of exercise, how much is enough? I, I, I think you, you, you're going to get a very varied answer depending on the person. Um, you know, for someone, maybe three miles a day of running is a lot. But for someone else, three miles might be a warm up. So it, it just it's really hard to answer that question. But I can tell you what we've seen from studies. Um, so the American Co um, Co um, College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, uh, they both recommend about 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. And they also recommend 75 minutes of high intensity or vigorous physical activity. Now, you may be asking, how did they come up with this? So this was actually studied. This was actually studied in, in, in clinical trials. And they actually found that the optimal dose for benefits in terms of disease prevention, lowering blood pressure, lipids was 150 minutes per week which is about two, a little over two and a half hours per week. So that's the short and easy answer. Um, however, we have seen multiple studies that show that uh, more and more exercise is actually better. So there's something called the J curve, which means that 
the more you exercise, the more benefits you get. And we've seen this with a lot of different activities. Um, however, uh, not everyone fits into that category. So there are some people who the more they exercise is actually diminishing returns um, for various reasons, you know, on the cardiovascular health, uh, joint health, muscle health. I mean, there's many reasons why for some people exercising more for their specific body is not good. Um, this is a reason why I'm sure we'll talk about this. Some people develop cardiac calcification and others don't because it's multifactorial. It's not as straightforward as, oh, if you do a marathon, you're going to get calcification. It's not that simple. So it really, it really depends on what your goal is. Uh, but, you know, the easy answer would be about two to three hours a week. Uh, but it's, it's unfortunately not, not an easy you know, question to answer. Yeah. Can, can you explain a little bit more about that J curve? What, what does that actually mean? So in bio, so yeah, so in biology, what, many things follow what, what is called a J curve. So if you can imagine the J, right, like the letter J. Um, so the top of the, of the J where it starts is basically you're sedentary. Let's say you're a couch potato, which unfortunately most people in the U.S. are. Um, they're not really, and by the way, they're not getting the recommended 150 minutes per week. So for all those listening, exercise more, definitely. Like it's, it's you probably should be exercising more. Uh, we're talking about the very small percentage of people who are overdoing it. But essentially, if you're a couch potato, very sedentary, um, any, any sort of activity is going to immediately give you incredible returns. So even going from being a couch potato to doing an hour a week of whatever exercise you want, you're going to get huge benefit in health. And J-curve means the more you do it, the more benefit you get. Um, that's like one proposed model. Some people, they, they, they think that it could be a J-curve, but other people think it's a U-curve, which means the more you do, it's fine up to a certain point, and then it starts to tail off, meaning diminishing returns. So it, it's, it's tricky. But um, for the most part, I think the consensus is too much exercise is probably not good for us, which I, I'm sure we'll get into later on. Yeah, yeah, we were, uh, I was watching the marathon, New York City Marathon on Sunday, Sunday morning. And this Brazilian runner, he was like in first place for like the first 20 miles or so. And then out of nowhere, I just see him going to the bathroom, come out of the bathroom, running again. And his body just gave up on him completely. Like he was like, he had nothing else to give. He just hit the wall. Um, I, And I was just wondering like, is that is that can that be is that good for the body? Like is is marathon running, you know, endurance. When we're talking about endurance exercise, we're talking about marathons. We're talking about cycling, swimming, triathlon, ultra marathon runners. KB, do you, do you think these endurance events are healthy? And do you think we should be? Do you think it's 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 healthy for the human body essentially? Do you think it's safe for athletes to be doing these events? That's a great question. And I think to, to piggyback on uh, Dr. Joe's point, um, I, you really should have an understanding as what your body can and cannot do. That's why I recommend, you know, going to a physical therapist or, you know, following some sort of program that's been shown to help with, uh, you know, training for your marathon or whatever task you might be doing. Um, I did read somewhere earlier this week that marathon runners, uh, the majority of them that do end up collapsing 
or collapsing while they're running. It's towards the tail end of the actual run. It's not during yeah. uh, the beginning. It's not during the first five or 10 miles. It's yep. towards the tail end. So uh, that will tell you that the over exercise or over running or overdoing anything, uh, mm-hmm. you know, might have those detrimental effects that Joe has been talking about. So I, I do feel that um, over, you know, over exercising, doing too much will have a detrimental effect. However, um, that shouldn't stop you from from doing these things. Um, you know, I, I feel like whatever we say, we want you to, to exercise, continue to do it, but do it in moderation, right? Do it mm-hmm. with your people, understand, you know, what your goals are. Uh, one of our professors in PT school, Sam, used to say, you're, you should have a challenging challenge. That's something that you can do, something that you could almost repeat. Um, and, and I think it's just really good to do these things in moderation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you're hitting the wall and yeah, like you said, like I think it's mile 25 is where where people really hit the wall. Uh, and, and for the listener out there, a marathon is 26.2 miles. A half marathon is 13 miles, 13.1. So yeah, I think if you're pushing your body to the point of hitting the wall, hitting the wall, meaning like just you, you break down, your muscles have nothing else to give. You can't run anymore. You can't move. You're just completely fatigued and depleted. I think that's toxic to the body, right? And we've talked about hormesis in other episodes where it's, you know, that's why saunas and and cold plunges are good for you because you're in a sauna, you're in a cold plunge for a certain amount of time, right? You're in there for for a certain amount of time. And within that time frame, you get benefits from it. Right. But if you were to exceed that time, then those benefits become toxic they're not benefits anymore they become detrimental to your health so i think marathon running is the same thing and endurance running is the same thing where it's literally toxic to your body yeah yeah and not yeah toxic aspects of it um for us as pts you might see the musculoskeletal uh detriments as well so like jumper's knee um achilles Mm -hmm. it is uh shin splints you know we might deal with those things um Mm-hmm. Female athletes, you know, we talk about the female triad, right? Um, right. That would be like loss of menstrual cycle, regular irregularity, uh, eating disorders, um, and bone mineral loss. So, um, mm-hmm. I think overexercising not only affects the musculoskeletal aspect, but there's other things that we might not even know uh, that could be detrimental for by doing too much exercise. Yeah, definitely, and and. The marathon all started back in in Greece. Yeah. So there's a story of a a runner, Pheidippides, I believe his name was Pheidippides. He was a Greek messenger traveling from Marathon to Athens. And he ran like 26 miles to deliver this message, you know. And once he arrived, he collapsed and he died. And this is the story of how marathon running started. Mm. And that's where we get the 26 miles from. So it's like... From someone dying, we get a yearly event all over the world. And I, th- I just think, I don't know that's the best form of exercise, in my professional opinion, based on the evidence. Um, I think I think there is a limit. I think there is a limit. And, and the studies show, the study that I found showed that anything over an hour of vigorous exercise for the day is too much. And the benefits of decreased mortality start to cap off around 60 minutes of vigorous exercise. Right. Right. So anything more than that, you're entering that 
what I like to call that, that toxicity area. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's the best thing, uh, best form of exercise. I think there, there's definitely a limit to it. And I want to talk more about the heart. Like what can happen, Joe, when it comes to the heart? If you run too much, and if you're a listener out there and you're in your 20s and you're thinking, oh, no, no, I'm young, I'm fit. I could, that would never happen to me. I mean, you heard the list of people that I mentioned earlier. And in that list of people who have collapsed and died from marathon running, a lot of them were in their 20s. A lot of them were in their mid-20s, 30s, 40s. So, you know, this this concerns you. You, sh- you should be aware of the dangers of it. So, Joe, what, do, what are some of the, the, the issues with the heart that happen with uh, this kind of exercise? Yeah, and also I just want to add to that, not, not just marathon runners, but, but soccer players, basketball players. Yeah. Uh, that's it's seen in basically all every sport. Yeah. So when it comes, in terms of the cardiovascular system, um, endurance if there are endurance events whether that's marathon running or cycling or or swimming for long distances you're basically placing your heart in a lot of stress and um just to go back to one-on-one physiology of the heart you basically we have what's called what are called atria which are the chambers at the top of the heart and then we have the ventricles which are at the bottom and the ventricles are the are the muscular part of the of the heart that pumps blood to the rest of the body um so what happens with too much exercise, and I'm talking about over a long period of time, like months or years of, of hard training, is those ventricles, they go through changes. They go through what's called remodeling. And they become thicker. The walls, they actually become very thick. And unfortunately, what can happen is if those walls become too thick, that actually starts to change the way the heart pumps. Mm. And that increases your risk for arrhythmias. So arrhythmias are abnormal heart patterns or abnormal heart rhythms. Uh, we're usually in a rhythm that's called normal sinus rhythm, which means our heart beats normally six, about 60 beats per minute. But we do see that in people who exercise for very long periods of time or they've done multiple marathons, the most common arrhythmia is actually something called atrial fibrillation, uh, which is an irregularly irregular rhythm. What that means is that the, the beat, instead of, the classic doom, doom, doom. It goes doom, 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 doom. It has no rhythm. And the, the problem with that is that you can actually develop blood clots, strokes. So it's a very dangerous rhythm to be in. So that's basically what can happen. Arrhythmias, remodeling of the heart, the ventricles get thicker. Uh, there are all, obviously a bunch of other things that can happen. Uh, in some people who are uh, marathon runners or they, they do excessive exercise, a lot of them, they are actually born with congenital disorders, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But there's something called HOCOM, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a genetic disorder where your, your heart is, is just very enlarged. And that predisposes you to sudden cardiac death. So, you know, part of it is you're born with it. And then you, you, you take on these like high you know, endurance events. Some people develop it later in life. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a lot. And then also before I let, um, you know, KB talk, um, also there's, there's a very well-known thing in the marathon community, which is people who, who tend to run marathons, they, they tend to be unhealthy before they start running marathons. So, and I, that study that you sent me, Sam, it was a huge percentage of people who were actually smokers before, before starting marathons and they were very unhealthy. And I think there's a, there's like a common 
thought that, oh, because I'm running a marathon, I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I just exercise. I just ran 10 miles. So that also predisposes you to a bunch of issues down the line. So I wonder if how much of this is actually lifestyle or previous lifestyle habits or how much of it is actually from the exercise. I think it's multifactorial. Mm. Hmm. It's interesting. I feel like it's it's definitely structural though. So are you saying that you, you what do you think? Like do you you think it's both or you think it's I mean I think it's structural, right? Cuz I mean when it comes to if we think of the human body like ancestrally, right? Our ancestors. What's the whole point of running? What's the whole point of to, ca- of, to of, catch an animal? Right. It was to catch an animal. Right. It's like, it's like to, to hunt, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And we were we weren't out there running twenty six point miles. We weren't out there jogging for no reason. Sam, that doesn't make any sense evolutionarily. Why why would we expend energy and run for twenty six miles? That's what I'm saying. That doesn't make any sense for, in terms of energy right. storage. Yeah. Like what what right? And t- you have to think about evolution. Like we have fat. We why do we have fat? So that if when we don't eat for a week, we have we used our energy for for fuel, and so why would the human body want to run twenty six miles? It doesn't make any sense evolutionarily. Um, I yeah. think to answer your question is, I'll tell you why I believe it's both. It's because because it, some people who develop calcification, coronary artery calcification, who are marathon runners, um, it's it's not everyone who develops it, and. And there's also different types of calcification. You know, there's like, is it like the intimal, intimal plaque? Is it the subendothelium? It's like very complicated. So I don't think there's an ant. I don't think anyone knows for sure. I mean, like I just explained that there are definitely structural changes that occur when you're a marathon runner, like the ventricles, the atria, um, but not everyone gets it. So it could, could it be that you have a genetic predisposition or could it be, that you developed it during the exercise, probably both. Right. So, but why do these? Why have these marathon runners just collapsed and died from heart attacks at such a young age? Why is that? Why was that? Why, why would that happen? So, so it's not heart attacks. It's it's sudden cardiac death. It's, this is two very different things. A heart attack is atherosclerosis. It's when the coronary artery gets blocked and the plaque ruptures, and then that causes an acute myocardial function what's happening to these young athletes is 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 a is more of an electrical problem it's not a plumbing mm. problem so these arrhythmias that i just told you about ventricular tachycardia ventricular fibrillation afib uh arrhythmogenic right ventricular all these rhythms that is what's happening to these uh, to these athletes it's not it's not heart attacks that's seen more in older people like 50s and 60s who go off for a run and they already had obstructive coronary disease those are the ones that we're seeing the heart attack but for the younger ones it's not it's not really heart attacks it's more it's either a structural problem or it's an, an electrical problem which is from the the, the, the remodeling of the ventricles mm. I, I mean i'm seeing right here on the on the list of, of marathon fatalities heart attack heart attack aortic dissection cardiac arrest cardiac arrest heart attack Heat stroke, ischemic colitis, heart attack, DMAA supplement, cardiac arrhythmia, heart attack, heart attack, heart attack, electrolyte imbalance, mitral valve prolapse. I mean, this is pretty concerning, yeah, but, you know, very concerning. Sometimes um, when they say heart attack, they're, they're, they're talking about 
it's not very clear because when people say heart attack, they it's it's like what what does that mean specifically? Yeah, is that like an electrical thing? Is that a valvular thing? I mean, that's not myocardial infarction. That's atherosclerosis. Yeah, but anyway, it's confusing. It's 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 not straightforward. So, do you think too much exercise can be deadly? Oh me? Yes, yeah. Me? Or, yeah, of course. Based on I mean this. Based on possible poor diet choices before running a marathon and then the actual marathon probably making it worse and stressing the body. Is that what you think? So I guess let me let me clarify my point. So what what I'm trying to explain is if let's say you're you're someone training for a full marathon, it's highly unlikely that with just one marathon, you're gonna develop all these things that we're talking about. Right. This is something that's been that takes years. Like this is the person who runs two marathons a year for the past 10 years. This is the person who does ultra endurance events like swimming, uh, Ironmans. What I'm talking about is over time, remodeling of the heart, uh, thickening of the walls. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. It, it's this, this stuff that's not going to happen with one marathon or even two. This is, you know, very specific population. Um, and yeah, that, that's what, that's what, that's the distinction I would make. It's not, it's not just, I think the heart attack thing, that's much more common in, in, let's say, someone who's older, who randomly starts running, and and then they have a heart attack. That's that's different. But I think these young athletes, right. the vast majority is is just it's it's um like sudden cardiac death, hokum, you know, arrhythmia, yeah, stuff like and that. Yeah, just to piggyback off like the arrhythmia thing. And like really, really screening too. Like in the NBA now, it's like mandatory that these guys are getting screened each and every year. That started in 06. And I think, Sam, we used to talk about it a lot. Like um, certain player, like LaMarcus Aldridge, he was diagnosed with um, during one of the screens, uh, Wolf Parkinson's, whatever. So he was diagnosed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chris Bosch, multiple NBA champion, he was diagnosed mm. pulmonary embolism. Okay, so these are all things um that you know dr joe was talking about and, and there's many more there's probably going to be more um and these guys are young guys the best athlete well in my opinion one of the better athletes in the in the world right so these nba players are running like two to three miles per game but at top speeds okay if these guys are having things and screenings that a someone like dr joe would see then what makes you think that you you might not need to be screened you know these guys have worked their Right. to be the best shaped athletes and being that they're so tall seven feet tall there's been studies that taller guys they have larger uh left ventricle cavity mm -hmm. sites. so so that's yep. that might cause an increased chance of the thickening that uh you know dr joe was talking about earlier so um really just to to really just to say that everyone has a chance of having these things no matter who you are I think it's it could be a structural thing and a conduction thing, just like what Dr. Joe said. But the main thing to get out of what I'm trying to say is just like just get screened, like at least here. Yeah. Um, you know, you can see a physical therapist. You can see Dr. Joe. Uh, if you were to see a PT, it would probably do like a stress test. Dr. Joe has a, a variety of different things that that they do within their field. But um, like Sam was saying earlier, like you're you're not too cool to to do these things. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to transition into physical therapy. How? So KB, tell us about cardiopulmonary physical therapy. Tell us a little bit about like the work that you, you've been doing, the patients that you've been seeing. 
And let's talk about how we can advocate for better screening of our athletes to help prevent and uh, these these things from happening, and also to help you know screen possible congenital issues and maybe refer out to the appropriate provider, like a cardiologist or a physician, to make sure our athletes are safe before their events and their their mm-hmm. games. That's a great question. So, um, all folks who are in high school, I know in New Jersey it's like required that they have to see their MD. They have to have some sort of cardiac screening. I think that should be like a federal thing based off of the numbers that we've seen. I mean, you just read a list, the top people who are in shape, quote unquote, they're falling down and dying. I think we should catch these things a little bit earlier. Um, a great way to test these things out, such as if you have heart calcification, you'd get an echocardiogram. That's one of the most common tests that you would see. And pretty much what it does, it gives a picture of your heart using ultrasound, which is like a type of x-ray, and it gets your, your doctors an idea as to what's going on in the heart. Not only would it determine uh, cardiac calcification, but it could also assist with other problems that you might have in the heart, such as issues within your valves, uh, within your chambers that Dr. Joe was talking about, and might even tell you how strong your heart is pumping, um, which which is something that's called the ejection fraction. So I, I think getting screened, seeing your doctor um, at least yearly, it, it would be a good idea. Um, no matter how athletic mm-hmm. you think you are. Like you could be LeBron, you could be Kobe, you could be Sim. Yeah. Just go see the doctor, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important because I think I think yeah, like Joe said, there's there's a lot of people out there that are like, you know, I'm gonna get into shape. My goal is to run the New York City Marathon next year. Mm-hmm. And within that year they put their body through a lot of changes and and they run the marathon. And what are the chances that they actually went to their physician to talk about this? What do you think, Joe? Probably none, right? 50,000 people ran the New York City Marathon. How many people do you think actually got screened, got a got an EKG, blood pressure taken? How many Very people do you think? A couple, few I would, thousand? I want to say less than 1%. Yeah, the, the, the top professional athletes, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, them. maybe not. I don't even know. But I think... We've we've discussed in this podcast that endurance exercise and the marathon is a it's a big mm-hmm. event. It is a lot of stress on your body, and that requires big screening. It requires a lot of screening. And for your average Joe, you know you have to take a look at at that and 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 be cautious when it comes to these things because it could be mm-hmm. deadly. And there are ways to screen for it. You know you you can see a, a cardiopulmonary physical therapist. Uh, you can see a physician. You can see a cardiologist. There's definitely things you can do. So I, I, I think we should advocate more for that, you know, because you don't want to end up like a statistic. You really yeah. don't. That, that is a good point. I think I think I think I agree with with you. I think we we should scream more for that because um, I think uh, honestly the bare minimum should be an EKG. Yeah, I mean an EKG would pick up an arrhythmia, you know, ventricular dilatation, but you know, sometimes an EKG is not really enough because, you know, most people are at rest when they're doing yeah. an EKG. So we tend to see problems when you're exerting yourself. And the only way to, to see that would be with a stress echo. So I, I, I actually believe if you're someone who's like a marathon runner and you're really pushing yourself to the limits, I think you should definitely get a stress echocardiogram at least once a year. Like KB was saying, you know, to check your, the valves, to check the 
your ejection fraction mm -hmm. to check your you know your 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 heart rate your stroke volume all that stuff you know an echocardiogram is a very 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 uh, non-invasive test that basically just uses a, a probe and there's no radiation it's super quick and you get so much information and yeah i think it would be life-saving mm -hmm. um i don't know why more people aren't yeah. doing it i think another thing that's even more or quicker to check is if you have family history right if, if mom and dad yeah oh wow you know yeah I mean? then you know that then go see your doctor you know what i mean like if you have relatively close people in your family who have some sort of uh you know coronary artery disease or whatever any heart complications i think that's something that you should take into account for before you know running 26 miles mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah with um the common cardiovascular conditions associated with sudden sudden cardiac death in athletes so we have congenital we have acquired like joe mentioned um some of the congenital or genetic conditions are hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, dilated cardiomyopathy, um, aortopathy, valvular heart disease, like aortic stenosis. So, Joe, are these things that can be related to family history as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, right? So for example, for example, Hocum, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is autosomal dominant. So that means that 50% chance of inheriting it. So like KB was saying, that's a good point. Uh, I think family history is invaluable because if, if you ask someone, hey, has anyone in your family collapsed or had a sudden cardiac death? Mm -hmm. Then if the answer is yes, then immediately that should ring an alarm. And you should be definitely, you know, referring them to a cardiologist, you know, someone who specializes in the, in the cardiac system. Yeah, so family history is so important. Um, also, Wolf Parkinson, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome, there is a slight genetic component there. Um, what else? Brugada, there, there a bunch of them. Brugada syndrome. Oh, yeah. Brugada syndrome. Yeah. Can you explain what that um, is? Brugada syndrome is just a it's a very dangerous arrhythmia. Um, that is, it's just it's just it's just genetic. Like it's some sort of gene polymorphism that predisposes you to sudden cardiac death. The same with Wolf Parkinson White. Certain like ventricular tachycardias. Um, there's also something I just remember: yes. Marfan syndrome. Mm -hmm. which is which is uh i think kb was mentioning earlier um you know your aorta becomes dilated so and especially in very tall athletes like seven footers with long limbs a lot of a lot of them actually have marfan syndrome and they, they're at increased risk for for aortic dissection so this stuff is i mean you know it's, it's well not known. that simple yeah it's not, that, it's not simple. that simple. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna run a marathon, like no no big deal. I was just train by myself, take my own supplements, do my own thing. But in reality, like I think people don't get screened and, and the average Joe doesn't go to see their doctor because they think that what they're doing is healthy and it's a type of exercise. And they're thinking to themselves, I don't have to see a doctor because I'm not sick and I'm gonna be running a marathon, which is gonna help me prevent getting sick or having disease. But like we mentioned, there's everything's about balance in the body, homeostasis. Yeah, we gotta talk about that, Sam. Yeah, if you I, go I past, if, if you go past that homeostasis, that's not good. What do you mean it's not true? No, I'm saying that it's not true that if you run marathons, you're gonna be necessarily healthier. Oh yeah, I don't think there's actually any evidence for that. No, but I think people think that because yeah, yeah, they people think they that, don't yeah. they don't yeah. know the limit, mm -hmm. right? And they push they see people like David Goggins, who's yeah, a motivational speaker running hundreds of miles, 250 miles 
um, but he doesn't talk about the the dangers yeah. of that. You know, he mentions these stories about peeing blood, and yeah. I'm I'm listening to this guy like, I mean, I get you're a badass, but you also have a big platform, and and you're saying peeing blood and pushing yourself, but it's like, hey, I mean, where where do you draw the line? I don't think yeah, peeing I blood think, is good. I think there's something to be said about marathon running in terms of the mental aspect. Like, yes. You know, it does provide you with that dedication and, you know, you, you are achieving something that's uh, like amazing, you know, but I think a lot of those people, they don't really understand that what they're doing is actually not good for the human body. Like it's not, it's not good for the cardiovascular system. So I, I didn't tell you, but there are studies that show that cardiac troponin levels yeah. increase. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's actually a biomarker for cardiac damage. So they've done these studies where they measured the blood of marathoners before the marathon, during and after, and almost all of them have detectable cardiac troponins, which means that there are there is heart damage. So this is this is well known. Then they also did another study where they actually took pictures of the heart, something called a cardiac coronary artery scan, which looks at calcification, and most of them develop calcification throughout the months leading up to an, to an event. So, I mean, this is well known. Uh, I think the media also mm-hmm. plays into this. Uh, you know, like Nike, you know, one more. You know, what are all those slogans? They, they always, it's always like, push yourself, just do it, just, just do, do it. it. One more, just pee one blood. more rep. Right, all this stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, just pee, yeah, pee blood. Don't, but, don't pee blood, guys, by the way. Those listening. Yeah, you're probably in rhabdomyolosis yeah. if you're peeing blood. But if if you think like that all the time it's not good for you i understand once in a while yeah it's fine but you can't just be pumping out that rep the last rep get no like overtraining that's not good. overtraining is not good yeah yeah you don't want to be overtraining at the gym it, it, there's a limit um yeah i think that's a great point about the troponin um you know those markers are are there after a heart attack and they're literally there after intense endurance exercise you have that elevation of troponin which which is indicative of some kind of heart injury, myocardial yeah. injury. So the evidence yeah. is there. And I think even doing like moderate exercise, um, no matter like what your age is, that might be sufficient enough. Like there's also been studies that talk about how moderate intensity uh, would increase your HDLs, which is like your good cholesterols. Um, I think at times, like you mentioned, doing these strenuous exercises that might be too intensive for you um what would cause these things that joe is talking about so i think you have to figure out what's a challenge for you what can you do um to that you could actually replicate and figuring out what 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 just works for you you know you don't have to you don't have to just do a hundred percent every single time pace yourself i've never ran a marathon by the way but i know if i do it i'm not going to do 26 straight miles in a row I know I'm gonna probably walk a little bit here and there, take my photos, drink some water. <laughs> yeah. Crazy yeah. Out there. yeah. 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 No, it's true. Um, so I think, you know, for the listener out there who who may be a little confused, you know, what do I do? Should I even exercise then? Well, yes, you should exercise because exercise, again, if you if you've been tuning in and listening to us the whole time, exercise is definitely beneficial and it will add years to your life and mm. life to your years. The problem is if you exercise too much and excessively and for too long, 
you may run into problems. So basically, yes, exercise, but how much and what you should be doing. So there's a couple of general themes. Uh, you know, we do see this among people who live the longest around the world. And it turns out that they don't run marathons. So when, when we think about, you know, what are the blue zones, the people who live the longest, they, what they engage in is in very uh, social events in terms of social, uh, uh, you know, sporting events like racket sports. So it turns out tennis is one of the sports with the highest longevity. So people who play tennis, they live the longest. And a component may be because of the social aspect, because they talk to people, they meet people, um, you, you know, you do rest in between. Um, they also see this with, with uh, people who, who, who bike, you know, who bike to work. They see people, the Copenhagen study in Denmark. So, you know, people who live very long, yes, they all exercise, but not that much. Um, you know, a leisure walk here and there. Um, also, not just, we didn't really talk about strength training, but it turns out that wh what is the best thing you can do for longevity and health? Well, it's obviously a combination of aerobic and strength training. You want to do both. But it turns out that strength is actually an independent marker for overall longevity. So people who are stronger mm. tend to live longer. People who have stronger grips, people who are able to do what's called a dead hang for more than two minutes, um, those people, they tend to live longer because it's a proxy for muscle mass. The more muscle mass you have, the more skeletal muscle you have, that means you're metabolically healthier. That means that you're at less risk for developing diabetes, hypertension, all these things that we're talking about. So it's not just, I'm just going to run 26 miles. No, you have to incorporate strength training because I see that a lot in my patients. I'm sure you guys do as well. Um, people, they just focus on one thing and they forget about everything else, like stability, um, you know, mobility, flexibility. There's many domains of exercise, right? right? It's not just cardio. So, you know, yeah. that's just and something I that I noticed. The younger folks too, like, like now I think a big thing now is like bodybuilding. Like everybody wants to be big. And I, in my personal opinion, if you're like between 20 and 30, it's easier to, you know, go to the gym, lift weights, you know, buy creatine and protein, and then you look jacked. That's easy in my opinion. But like, like you mentioned, various different domains, I think you, you got to incorporate resistance in conjunction with aerobic exercise as well to get the maximum benefits. Yeah, and I think when it comes to tennis, my my theory on why that sport helps with longevity is because what's the theme that we've been seeing ancestrally when it comes to our ancestors who would walk miles and miles and miles and then sprint and then walk again, again, and walk and then sprint purposely, right? What is that called? Walking, sprinting, walking, sprinting. That's high-intensity uh interval training. Yeah. That's been shown to be really, really effective. What's tennis? High intensity interval training. You're 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 doing a great serve, and for for like forty five seconds, it's a great volley, and you're going back and forth, and your heart rate shoots up, and then the ball goes out of bounds, and you stop. You stop moving. You rest. You maybe walk to get the ball. You socialize a little bit, whatever. With your if you're doing doubles with your partner, and then you play again. It's this back and forth. That's the best for the heart. It's not a consistent, steady yeah. state. When you're in a steady state for 26 miles, 30 miles, 100 miles, David Goggins, 250 miles, and you're peeing blood, that's not good for the body. It's great for your mind, but essentially that what that is is an addiction. You're addicted to the runner's high, 
And any addiction of any form, whether it's exercise, drugs, opioids, heroin, crack cocaine, any addiction is not good. So you, you, you want balance in your workouts, right? You want balance. You don't want to be addicted to anything. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, people who tend to do endurance events, I mean, this is not all of them, but they, they tend to have addictive behaviors, like eating disorders. They tend to have like a lot of those things, you know, and they, I think it's like a coping mechanism. You know, they do it to like, you know, there is an association. Uh, but I did want to mention one thing real quick, Sam and KB. It's something called zone two training. So for the listener out there who wants to live longer, you know, there's something called zone two. What do I mean by zone two? So there are five zones um, that, that the, the heart can go into in terms of heart rate during exercise. And zone two is basically uh, a, a zone in, where, in which you can exercise and still talk at the same time. So being in that zone has been shown to actually lead to the longevity benefits that, that we see uh, in people who live to be 100 and more. So and what does that constitute? Basically brisk walking, maybe walking up a hill, uh, very, very light jogging, uh, light bike ride. Basically, nothing that's gonna nothing crazy. You just you want to be relaxed. You want right. to also you know not be stressed. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically it when it comes to, in terms mm -hmm. of exercise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think zone two is uh, super super effective. I think you know when I was training for the marathon for the half marathon that we're gonna do soon, you know I was doing too much too fast. I was in zone four. My heart rate was way too high and. Uh, and I think, you know, I definitely needed to, to, to relax a little bit and get into that zone too. And I think that helps a lot. So thank you all for listening to the internal therapy podcast. Thank you, KB, for being on our show. Yeah. Hope yo, you enjoyed your time here. Thank we you. Appreciate thank it. You can come back whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just say what you guys are doing is great for healthcare. I'll tune into all your shows. My favorite one uh was the diabetes one uh because you know african americans are, are affected by diabetes a lot as well as coronary artery disease so i think you guys are doing great keep up the good work i'm a huge fan i'd love to come back and and this was really fun for me thank, thank you kb we appreciate, appreciate it appreciate thank that. you thank you for being on our show thank you for listening to the internal therapy podcast everyone please like and subscribe to us on all platforms tiktok instagram youtube you name it 